0: there it goes. Um, I was driving here in about, I think it was about 12, 13 minutes till uh, 12 or 7. The uh, pastor let me know he was sick and uh, wanted me to fill in. And, you know, when you got a short period of time to prepare, the best thing to do is go to something you feel comfortable with. Uh, And also something that relates to you. It's easy to draw back on memories and I uh, have shared many a time my personal testimony, but uh, for the sake of the lesson, I'm going to do it again briefly, but um, my mom was uh, not saved, but thought she was, went to church about three times a year at this Baptist church. Uh, It was a large church, and uh, I have two brothers, so each one of us got to go once a year. You know, that was always fun because every year we had a different Sunday school class to find and, you know, get associated with, and Anyway, she had surgery coming up and she was scared and she was going to make a deal with God that she would join this church and in exchange for joining the church, of course, God's obligated, you know, to get her through the surgery and but she didn't let me know this, but the invitation comes and I happen to be the one with her that day and she grabs my hand in a death grip and I know better than to have a tug of war with my mom right there in the, you know in the church pew and so down to the front we go. Well as soon as we get down to the front she lets go of my hand and goes over to talk to the preacher and like I said, this is a church of about twelve hundred folks. And this uh worker up at the front evidently thought I'd come of my own volition and in a big booming voice said, Son, do you want to get saved? you know, and of course everyone, in the first three or four or five rows heard it. And instead of just saying, No, nah, I'll just stay a sinner, I think. Uh you know, <laughs> Yeah. <you know. laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said, I guess so. You know, and uh, and he took me down, and he he was faithful to share scripture with me. He shouldn't. Uh, well, you know, like I said, the situation was how he handled it, but he was faithful to share scriptures with me and faithful to lead me in a prayer. But then he made a second mistake, and that was he said, "Well, now you're saved." Well, in my mind, I said, "Well, you're the professional, so you know if I'm, sa- I guess I am." And of course, I left a place just as lost as I was. When I came in, I had no desire to go back, uh, you know, any more than I had before. Well, that was when I was about 12, 13 years old. You move ahead until I'm 18, and I'm dating Lisa and her family's in church, and I'm working with some young men that go to a church, and they keep inviting me to go. And thankfully, I come to a point where, you know, the, the preaching was very convicting. The love of the people was what drew me back. Uh, God, them, those folks, letting the Lord use them to love me and let him love me through them is what was appealing to me. And it was a lot of the elderly saints in the church. I literally, I can still remember Miss Carter, 80-something years old, almost at a little trot coming down the aisle to when I'd walk in the back door and patting me on the face and telling this 17-year-old boy, turning into 18, how happy she was to see me, and others doing that, and it genuinely made me so happy just to make them happy, you know, so I would show up, even though the convicting power of the word was tearing me up, and Satan kept saying, "No, you're okay, you're okay and uh, but the word of God and the conviction was telling me I wasn't and Finally, one day our pastor was preaching, and he made a comment, he said, "You don't have to remember the day, the week, the month." Or even a year you got saved. But he said, you do need to remember a time when your life took on a change. And that's when Satan lost his argument with me. Because I knew whatever I had done when I was 12 years old, it hadn't changed me one little bit. And so I knew my condition. And since I'd already messed up on this one time, I decided I needed to make sure exactly what I needed to do. And I knew that our pastor always stood at the back and shook hands with everybody that went out of the building. And I determined I was going to be the last one out. And I was going to tell him I needed to talk to him. And I am just completely convinced the Lord saved my soul the very moment I decided I wasn't leaving that building until I took care of it. Because I, I knew I was lost. I knew what the Lord had done for me. And I did not want to stay in that condition. And the pastor was faithful to lead me in a prayer. But I know in my heart that a change took place. But the thing is, you're 18 years old, you picked up a few habits by then, you picked up a certain vocabulary uh, by then and other tendencies, Uh, and I'd be sitting there and the preacher would be preaching about a particular sin and scripture would pop up and I'd say, oh my, you know, I'm still doing that. Well, you know, God's got to train you. You've had 18 years of Satan training you, And you still have the influences of the flesh and the the attractions of the flesh working against you. And you have to be retrained. The Holy Spirit's got to retrain you. You know, and that's, uh, you know, we're justified by God and then we're trained by the Holy Spirit. And that's where our sanctification comes from. And um, so I'm sitting here. Satan trying to say, well, you really must not have got saved or you wouldn't be doing these things, you know. But God, the Holy Spirit, you know, well, I'm pretty sure I'm saved, but then Satan trying to mess with me again. And a verse that finally helped me put it to rest was in Romans 8, starting in verse 16. And it says, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may, also be, we may also glorify together. But that verse 16, the Spirit itself. When I was lost, I could go over to Lisa's family that went to church, and I knew how to talk. But if my, one of my buddies was meeting me 15 minutes later, I could tell him the dirtiest story you'd ever want to hear, and I felt absolutely no conflict. There was nothing there because there wasn't any Holy Spirit telling me different. I just knew in certain crowds you behave certain ways, and in other crowds you could behave differently, and that's how the flesh acts. The only time I felt bad is if I messed up and used the wrong vocabulary in the wrong location. <laughs> you know, and then my hypocrisy showed through. And then I was embarrassed because of that, but not because that I was committing sin. But after I got saved, I can never will forget, being I worked in a lumber yard, and we handled timbers. We, made, we cut timbers down and made lumber for pallets, uh, wooden pallets. And when you're handling lumber, on a regular basis, you're going to pinch your fingers. When you're handling these timbers, you're going to pinch your fingers, and sometimes you're going to do it really good. And when I pinch my finger... Really good. I'm going to usually do a little dance, you know, and I'm going to say something. And it used to not be the right things. And and the Holy Spirit would hit my heart after I got saved. But that isn't the way one of God's kids ought to talk. And I never will forget being in the middle of work, and I trained myself to start saying, for goodness sakes, for goodness sakes, for goodness sakes. But in my mind I was still remembering the old vocabulary. The flesh was still there. I was just in that train but I never will forget I pinched my finger so good. Oh did it hurt. And I was doing my little dance and I was saying, For goodness sakes, for goodness sake, and then all of a sudden right in the middle of it I got so happy because I'd realized in my mind I was saying the exact same thing. And that God had given me a victory. Over I knew it wasn't me. It was my God doing it. And this verse, that the Spirit capitalized, God the Holy Spirit, beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If we can go through this life and talk to people in one language over here, on the job or anywhere else, and it isn't the same language we use at church, and it doesn't bother us, need to check your heart. need to check your heart and see if you really are saved. Because I know God the Holy Spirit is going to work on you. He's going to convict you. If you can tell lies, and as long as you don't get caught, it don't bother you. You need to check your heart and see about things. If you can get change at the cash register, and you gave them a 10, and they made change like a 20, and it don't bother you. You put the money in your pocket. You need to think about some things if God the Holy Spirit isn't talking to you about it. Because he's faithful to talk to his children. He, he wants to change it. But it's a comfort also when he is talking to you because that is your evidence. That is your proof that you're one of his kids. And that he's dealing with you as a child. He's trying to encourage you just like your parents did. And try to raise you upright. Trying to protect you from things. You know, sometimes protection comes in an odd form. My older brother liked to play with extension cords and stuff. And he liked to almost pull them out, and dad was fearful he'd get back behind it and touch the prongs and electrocute himself. So my dad took one of those little night lights, you know what I'm talking about? And he purposely broke the crystal so that that bulb was exposed. And he plugged that thing in there and let it get red hot and let my brother go over and do what my brother liked to do until he touched that hot globe and then he never did it again. You know. But the thing is, that sounds kind of mean, but the thing is, my dad said, I can't be here all the time and I need to break this child so he don't wind up killing himself. And so sometimes discipline comes in strange ways. But the thing is, God the Holy Spirit is going to discipline us. He's going to try to instruct us. He's going to try to encourage us. And so the proof of our salvation is the fact that the Spirit beareth witness with our spirit. But, you know, after we get saved, we still have this life to deal with. And in verse 26, a verse here that is to me, again, also so sweet. We go through life, and a lot of challenges will jump up. Brother John's got some serious challenges coming up, and uh, Brother Barry just went through it. Others have lost loved ones. Um, there's just all sorts of challenges that are coming up in life. and sometimes we honestly don't know how to pray. Sometimes we got loved ones that we're pretty convinced are lost, but every time we try to witness with them, they get mad, they try to shut the door, they cut off the communication. And sometimes you get children that aren't necessarily behaving and you don't want to encourage that, but you at the same time you don't want to cut off communication, you don't want to block the door. So how do you do this? And you, you just don't know how to pray sometimes. Well, the Scripture tells us something here that I think is a real blessing. In verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as, as we ought But the Spirit itself make His intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Can you imagine that? God, the Holy Spirit, prays to God the Father in the name of God the Holy Spirit, I mean God the Son, on your behalf. Now who can word a better prayer and a more effective prayer to God the Father than God the Holy Spirit? But have you ever thought about that? When you're just so, you know you ought to pray, you know you need to pray, but you can't even think of what you, how you ought to pray. You don't know what the situation is. And God knows your situation, and he promises to pray for you. One of the gifts of that same, the Spirit beareth witness, in other words, God the Holy Spirit in our heart, is that then God the Holy Spirit can intercede for us and pray for us. And, and to uh, go to the Father on our behalf. Of course, a verse that's uh, used many a time in Romans eight twenty eight. it talks about, For we know that all things work together for good uh, to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. I mean, you go back and you look back on your life and you see the different experiences that have come into your life. And, you know, there's some things that we won't know the why Until we're in eternity. But there's something that you can latch on to. And that is, is God good? Does God love you? How, How has God proved to you that he loves you? He sent his son, didn't he? He sent his son to die on a cross for us. So God is good and God loves you. So what you can be confident in is that God's purpose is good. And if he's in charge, and if he's the one that allows things to come into existence, and since he's all-powerful, he either, he either did it or he allowed it to happen. And so he is on his throne, and he is in power, and he promises that he'll take everything to work out for our good. And like I've said before in my Sunday school class and stuff, it may not be good to, for you. It may not feel good to you. It may not be what you would have chosen. But it may change you as a younger man or woman in the way that you raise up your children. It may change you in in your character or something so that you're a different person and you instill something in your children that you otherwise wouldn't have done. And that will bear fruit maybe after you're already in eternity. You may not know the fruit of it until you get out of this life and then God reveals to you. But what he does promise is that he'll take everything that comes into your life, if you love him, if you're working according to his purpose, and that he will turn it to good. And we look down then at the verses um, 35, starting there. Also, I want to look at verse 32 before I skip over it. It talks about, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And then the verse before that, verse 31, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? You know, think about what this chapter is building to like a crescendo as you look through it. First of all, he's telling you you're one of God's kids. You're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And we know how pleased the Heavenly Father is with His Son. In fact, He's given all authority under heaven and earth to His Son. And then God turns around and says, and you're a joint heir with Him. You know, just think about that for a moment. All power has been given to the Son. Everything about heaven and earth has been put under His feet. And God said He has made you a joint heir with Him. I mean, just think about that for a moment. You know, the thing that's, you know, some people can say, wow, I got a lot. But, you know, the thing is, God looks at us through the righteousness of the blood of Jesus Christ. And he's washed away all my sins. But when you look at the record of me, since my, what does the Bible say my righteousness is like? So can any single thing I've ever done really be recorded? But there's something on the record today. What is on the record today? The righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's the reason God can make me a joint heir with Jesus Christ, because when He looks at me, He looks at me as if I am His Son. In other words, the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been applied. Now, there's only one begotten Son. And the thing is, when we get to glory, we're going to know why we're there. All this vanity, all the pride, all the things like that are going to be stripped away. And we're going to know why we're there. And it's only because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. That's the reason we'll cast our crowns at his feet. We'll be at his feet. But the thing is, God thinks of you like you're his son. As a joint heir with Jesus Christ. A lot of people, I think, go through life thinking God's after them. Think God's looking to find a reason to spank them. And that's not the case. That's not the case he's there for us. It's only our sins that withhold good things from us. It's only our stubbornness and our rebellion god's desire for us is great and glorious uh but we have to be willing to submit and be obedient and you know brother John's probably the only one who ever does that right, but you know no. <laughs> no, but you know we you know we we mess up, but the thing is that verse. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Think of the power that's available to you through God the Holy Spirit. And when you don't know how you ought to pray, God the Father through God the Holy Spirit prays for you. And then he promises that no matter what you're going through, that he's going to, for we know that all things work together for good for them who that love God and to who are called according to his purpose. So he's already made a promise that he's going to take everything that comes into your life and turn it around to your good. He's promised that who can be against you if God is for you. He promises that if you don't know how to pray, I do, and he'll take care of that for you. The only thing that interferes with that is our rebellious pride that gets in the way of these things. And then we get to verse 35 through the end of the chapter. And Paul writes, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So get to thinking, you know, Satan tries to get in there and mess with us. He tries to discourage us. He tries to defeat us in our spirit as far as, you know, that it's just too much. And God is reminding nothing can separate you from my love. Nothing can separate you from these promises that I have made to you. You just have to lean on The thing is, I know in my life I get to worrying about something. And first of all, it's this big. But then I get to worrying about it. And, then, and if these things happen, then this could happen. And then I get to worrying about that. And then if these happen, then this could happen. And so far, not even this has happened. But I've already got it out here. And what, I'm, what Satan is busy doing in my mind is making my problems much bigger than my God in my mind and it's my job is to keep my eyes on my savior and on the father and his promises that he's made to me and his promises who shall separate us from the love of christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written for thy sake we are killed all the day long we are counted as sheep for the slaughter Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You know, now something for us to think about a little bit. I'm painting you guys a picture of victory. But what does victory mean you had to go through? Battles. You had to go through conflict. In other words, for there to be a victory, there had to be a tussle. You know, there had, you had to be involved in something to come out ahead. And the thing is, life is busy throwing those conflicts, those battles your way. The thing is, does it get your eyes off your Savior? Does your battles get you to a point where you're focused on them, and so then fear can set in? Or is your eyes on your Savior and all of the promises that He's made to you? It comes down to a choice. It isn't that we're walking through this world with rose-tinted glasses, but we're walking through a world that God created. We're walking through a world that God's still in charge of, and we got heavenly promises. And you just got to decide which one you're going to focus on. And that's either going to make either you're going to be fearful, or you're going to be confident. And that's where the peace that passes all understanding. You shouldn't have peace. You should be nervous. You should be worried. You've got surgery coming. You've got something out there that's coming. You should be a nervous wreck. Why aren't you? And you get to thinking about it. Well, it's because I've turned it over to my Lord. And there's a peace that comes from that. But the thing is, you can't just one day wake up and say, I'm going to claim that. You know, I've taught when I was teaching children. I know back in when I was teaching children, Michael Jordan was still playing basketball. And I said, do you think the very first time he ever did a reverse slam dunk was on the stage with 40,000 people watching him and TV? Or do you think he practiced that a little bit so when he got a chance to show off, he could, and he wouldn't look silly? And I said, the thing is, you're practicing today what you're going to do when your problem comes. Whatever it is you tend to run to, whatever it is you tend to rely on when your problems come, that's what you're rehearsing. And it'll start with little things, and it it could be I just turn a blind eye to it, I just ignore it, I don't deal with it, or I run from it. You know, when you're younger, it might have been daddy's money. Uh, Some people turn to lies. Some people, it was their good looks. That never was a problem for me. Um, you know, there's just lots of different things people in the flesh turn to when their crisis comes. But the thing is, whatever you're practicing now, when your crisis comes, that's what your tendency is going to be to run to. And what you need to be doing is going to your Savior, going to your Heavenly Father, getting into the Word of God, building your confidence and your trust in it so that when your crisis comes, That's where you'll run to, and that's where your peace will be, and that's where your joy will be. And it's found in the Word of God, and it's found in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see these promises that are made in verse 38. Again, like I said, this chapter just builds to a crescendo. And Paul's saying, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The key is, what are you persuaded in? Are you going to handle it the way you, the flesh tells you to handle it, or are you persuaded that you're going to lean heavily on your Lord Jesus Christ and his promises Because that's really the only place that you're going to find any peace in this life. And then glory forever. I appreciate your good attention. I ask you all to remember our pastor in prayer. And Brother Earl, would you close this in a word of prayer?